Every year, the Transportation Security Administration, whom we know as the TSA, releases a list of the most audacious items people try to bring on a plane. Now, I became aware of this mostly because it was all over the news that someone tried to bring a firearm in an uncooked chicken. Now, the TSA, who sees many strange and dangerous things, laughed about it and called it a personal foul. <laughs> I know. Actually, when you read the article, it gets worse than that. There are like 10 one-liners. Now, it must only be humorous because they got it before it went on the plane. And these stories make me not want to complain about ever having to go through security again. But really, listen to some of the things people have tried to smuggle on an airplane. A bag of live eels. A stun gun camouflaged in a bejeweled lipstick case. A human skull. A baby shark. Cattle prods hidden in a guitar case. Live birds in a woman's sock. <laughs> 1.2 million dollars in gold bars. A chainsaw, although as an act of courtesy, the passenger took out the gas first. <laughs> like, what, like Uncle Earl, can you please bring my chainsaw because mine broke, what? Seven small crocodiles, a personalized wedding hatchet, and a live flamingo. Now hearing this, we think, man, what were people thinking? Didn't they understand, like, the no-fly list? And then we think, oh, right. People hear exhortations and commands all the time. You shouldn't do that. This isn't allowed. That's a bad idea. Um, that's illegal. And then they do what works for them. Now, while it's easy for us to laugh and criticize the actions of others, Scripture calls us to examine our own souls especially about eternal issues. What do we do with the truth that we receive? Are we above hearing wisdom? Do we brush off warnings as not applicable to us? See, there are those who would bring dangerous weapons on a plane to actually hurt others, but the majority of people had other ideas. Some did it for personal gain or for their own safety or to see if they would actually get caught, while others were like, well, it's just fine because the rules don't really apply to me or they really shouldn't be there in the first place. When asked, people said, oh, I forgot I couldn't bring that, or oh, did I have that in my bag? I didn't remember that. I didn't know that wasn't okay. Today, we end the letter that Peter writes to the general church which, with words that are more than exhortations, but less than commandments. They show up like admonitions. An admonition is to instruct, to counsel, to advise, to warn. Peter kind of, kind of clicks off a list like he doesn't want to forget or he's running out of time to post his letter. Now, along with them are either blessings or consequences. But as I read the scripture and as we think about it and Peter's admonitions, I, I want us to honestly consider if we're really going to adhere to what Peter's saying. Or if it's just something that we think maybe other people need to hear. Do they matter for where we're going in life? Let's see. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 14. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves. Keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. Through Sylvanus, who I consider a faithful brother, I have written this short letter to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Your sister church in Babylon, together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, may we hear these words today, this wisdom as coming from you. Give us what we need as we have come today, Lord, to worship you, to seek you. God, give us what you want to give us. Amen. Where we left off last week was Peter quoting a line from Proverbs about how God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Our passage today is really about wisdom. We show what is in our heart by the declarations and the statements that we make. We display our trust in God with our choices. We express our devotion by how we spend our time. And Peter's words are calling us to be different kind of people than the world around us. And this passage is calling us to put ourselves beneath God's mighty hand. God, God's mighty and tender hand, trusting in his care, actively staying clear of evil while we wait for Jesus to come again. There are six admonitions here that are meant to lead us to wisdom and peace and the closeness that Jesus wants us to have with him in all facets of life. So the first admonition is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Now, there's a curious motivation that Peter gives here. He says, we should choose humility because then God will exalt us because of it. Now, that fits with Jesus' teaching that the last will be first. But to be humble with the goal of one day being exalted, like I'm going to be humble so that I can be exalted one day, is really antithetical to humility. God lifts up those who are lowly, and it's a byproduct of humility, not the reason we should do it. So maybe we, this would be better understood. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Humility is not a commandment, but we should understand humility is the opposite of pride. And pride is the unhealthy love of oneself. So humility is proof of loving God and loving others more than ourselves, lowering ourselves under God's care. The call to humility is a truth all of us need to listen to in some areas of our lives. And Peter is using humility juxtaposed to the greatness of God. Now, when Peter talks about the mighty hand of God, he's using a term found often in the Old Testament. And he's talking and reminding the church about God's sovereignty an unparalleled power. Moses reminded the Israelites that it was because of the Lord's great love 
that God delivered them out of Egypt with his strong and mighty hand. God himself reminds the people in Ezekiel how he has led them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Isaiah assures us how God will strengthen us and help us and uphold us with his righteous right hand. In Psalm 138, David confidently reports how God stretches out his powerful hand of protection against the wrath of his enemies. So this is not just a phrase Peter is throwing around. It's one we should know. He is purposely using it as a way of reminding the church that we have a God who delivers, who leads, who strengthens, who guides and protects us with his hand. It's beautiful. So stop and think about that for a second. To receive God's power, to to reach out for God's hand, reaching out to us is an act of faith. That is humility. So where in your life or your work or with your family or or whatever, do you need God's mighty hand coming and pulling you up or pulling you out or, or doing this with you? How do you need God's mighty arm to come and save you? If you've come to the end of your own strength, it's good to humbly ask for God's help. The second admonition is to cast our anxiety on God. Peter says, cast your anxiety on God because God cares for you. We can get so crippled by fear. Fear is a natural reaction of being human and finite and living in a dangerous world. And every age deals with trauma from war and disease and disasters and mass shootings and family dysfunction and mental illness and the insecurity of needs. And these realities add to our burden and the heaviness as we try to cope and thrive. And Peter reminds us, yes, and God cares for you. God prepares for you. So would you allow Jesus to carry your fear? Now, Peter understood being afraid. We read in the Bible lots of ways where his fear was expressed, when he wanted to build a a tower of honor real quick for Moses and Jesus at the transfiguration, how he got paralyzed after a few steps of walking on the water, and how he reprimanded Jesus about talking about death and denying that he knew Jesus. That's all fear. All of that is fear. And it's not easy to give our anxiety to God. How do you do that? What does that look like? Now, Peter kind of indicates that it might be easier for us if we knew how much God cares about us. Is that true? Is the reason that we hold on so tightly to our fear is because we have a difficult time receiving God's love? Maybe. It might also be fear is a security blanket or fear is a pattern And when we find ourselves not wanting to let go of our fears or really knowing how to let go of our fears, then maybe it's time for us to go talk to someone. Cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Dr. Jennifer Kaland at Iona College offered how a fishing analogy is helpful here. To cast one's net or line means to throw it far into the water, anticipating a catch. And Peter says, 
Throw your worries far away and anticipate God's care coming back to you. She said, we don't cast out our net with our line with the bait on it, hoping to eventually pull it back with the bait still on it. No, we throw our lines out with the bait and hope that we get a fish. We cast out something we don't want for something that we do want. Cast out our fear in exchange for God's peace. God's presence over us. And then we say, God, please give us your presence as we give you our fear, as we name our fears, as we say them specifically to you and take away their power, God, that you would give us your power. Amen. The third admonition is that we would discipline ourselves. In the original language, actually, it doesn't say discipline yourself. It says be sober-minded, which means to think accurately about a situation. This is about discernment, as Peter calls us to alertness. Peter says there's an enemy prowling around who wants to devour us. He calls it an adversary, the devil, who seeks to destroy God's work and people. Now, adversary means an opponent in a lawsuit, If you've ever been part of a lawsuit, that is not a happy thing. Devil means slanderer, one who throws things against you. We know the devil is called the accuser. This is the truth found in all of Scripture. It's incumbent on us to pay attention. Peter is telling us this. Believers in the church, remember, you have an adversary. You have someone who works against you. And that requires special human discernment, not just human reasoning. This is something that we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us work through. What does it look like to keep alert? It means staying close to Jesus. It means not putting ourselves in a space where we open ourselves up to evil, either intentionally or because we think that we are immune to it. It means not laughing at the darkness, which is all around us. It means recognizing that we are vulnerable to the enemy. It means that we stay away from places in our minds and hearts that are emptied of God's presence. It means we pray for God's spirit to protect us and show us what we can't see. It means that we stop and shut out the voices and turn off the social media and turn off everything and just allow God to speak to us using scripture or journaling or nature, or whatever, so that we might hear God clearly. Peter is telling us this is serious business. We should be sober-minded and disciplined about this, because God's enemy loves chaos and instability and confusion and shame. And so we have to examine our lives often and say, is that from God, or is that from the darkness? In Peter's fourth admonition, he continues this thought and he says, resist the devil. Now, resist is an active verb. Resistance is a form of subverting the status quo. It's a way of rejecting the way of the world, which gets caught up in itself, often in proud denial of God's power and strength. And Peter says, resist the pull of the world. 
because we can so easily get lulled into thinking and acting as if God doesn't matter, if God doesn't care, as if God isn't at work, if it's if God isn't alive, we can get lulled into that thinking without even realizing it. Peter uses the image of the lion here. When we think of lion in Christianity, we might think of Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia. But when the early Christians, the ones who were a little later than this letter, heard the word lion, their minds would have gone to the image of their brothers and sisters facing death in the Roman Colosseum. This makes Peter's words kind of prophetic, doesn't it? Calling the devil a lion? The early bishop from Syria, Ignatius, is someone to mention here. He was an influential church leader and theologian whose writings helped the church find its bearings in the Roman Greco world. And his desire to be like Christ was evident in all he did and how he died. He served for many years and died as a martyr in the year 110. And he was probably condemned to die for being an atheist in Rome, which means that he didn't worship all of the gods. And in an arena surrounded by over 85,000 onlookers who applauded and yelled for more, he died as a witness for Christ. Listen to some of his last words. Nearness to the sword is nearness to God. To be among the wild beasts is to be in the arms of God. Only let it be in the name of Jesus Christ. I endure all things that I may suffer together with him, since he who became the perfect man strengthens me. For so many early Christians, being a martyr of the faith was a huge honor. And Peter's words are a warning that we not be taken in we not be taken in by the tempter, but rather stay steadfast in our faith no matter what happens. And he reminds us how Christians all over the world then and now suffer. Christians all over the world have the pressure to capitulate to the lie that everything is meaningless. And Peter's admonition to be steadfast is the fifth admonition that we see here. The overarching theme of this letter is how our suffering doesn't mean that God has abandoned us. Rather, we see how God keeps and loves those whose lives are marked by sorrow and affliction. Look at the beautiful promise in verse 10, if your Bibles are open. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will personally restore support, strengthen, and establish you. We cry out in the pain and the grief that we carry, but what hope we have in Christ, Christ who suffers in solidarity with us. This is a promise for the world to come, but a reminder for how God meets us now in all of these ways. So I want us to look at just one of these words, the word restore. I want you to think about how God has restored your life, how God is restoring your life right now from sin or pain or darkness or addiction. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it happens like all at once. How has Jesus brought new life to you? The word restore here was commonly used for setting a bone fracture. It means to supply that which is missing, to mend what needs to be fixed. The transforming work of the Spirit is to repair our lives, 
to mend our wounded hearts, to bring wholeness to all that leaves us broken. That's what grace is. Remember the ways that God has supported and strengthened you. How has God been faithful to you your entire life? We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to see these aspects of eternity now. We just have to focus on them. It isn't that God's grace is insufficient. Sometimes it's that we as believers don't plant ourselves firmly in God's grace and stay there. Peter ends his good letter with a theological reflection and an affirmation of who Christ is in the life of the church. And these words should be put on our mirrors and on our desks and all of the places where we can see them. Because through all the joys and the sufferings we have, Christ is with us. Now the last admonition is a short one. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Of course, that was a cultural practice in Peter's day. When we look underneath it, it means show your love for one another. Show your sincere regard. This should be an outward demonstration of our inward feelings of unity and love for one another in Christ. So may our love be evident to all who see us as we are the hugging church on the Mesa. In the end, this is actually a sermon about honesty. As we have thought through Peter's admonitions, we ask ourselves what they have to do with us. It's not as though we are unaware of what God expects from us. The theme of most TSA stories is how people try to put an item that they shouldn't have under layers of something that they think will hide it like peanut butter, and ace bandages, and game consoles. We laugh, we laugh at the absurdity of that, but how often do we do that in our spiritual lives? We hide our insecurity and pride underneath our bravado. We hide our fear by not engaging, or by drinking to excess, or being judgmental of others. We hide our denial and our oblivion about evil. We shove down our suffering and our tears, hoping that they won't come up because we don't really want to feel them. We keep going with all kinds of stuff we shouldn't have, and it's weighing us down. TSA doesn't catch everything, but God does. It isn't possible to hide with Jesus. And even though we try to get away with not showing the world all that we're traveling with, the Lord knows. And it's the Lord's desire that we would surrender everything to him willingly so we don't cause hurt to ourselves or those that we're traveling with. We don't need our weapons and we don't need to hoard what we secretly value because we think it's going to give us worth and meaning. We need the compassion and the truth of God, whose plan, according to Peter, is to exalt us, is to care for us, is to give us eyes to see the world as he does, to help us stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters who also know the challenge of living on on this earth. So the Lord's plan is to help us know and experience true grace. Peter has written this letter to encourage us that we might be a witness to all that God is and all that God has for us. 
And so let's willingly give to Jesus the baggage that we don't need. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.